You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. This is Ricey. We are at Hammond Stadium. A long game today. Twins win 9-8. Everybody gets hits. Derek Falvey is with us, the uh, chief baseball officer of the Twins. Man, Derek, everything is accelerated this spring. The minor leaguers reported today. I can remember them reporting March 13th or something like that. Everything is just accelerated because the early uh, start of the season. It's just the way it's gone for this particular year. You know, it's such a unique structure, and uh, it's good to have everyone here, though. Is it going to be this way in the future, though, with the extra days off in the season? Do we know? Is it pretty much going to be playing games on February 22nd or something? I I think more often than not, it's probably going to be like that, uh, just because, you know, the way it's structured now with the Major League season, you want everything to kind of line up relatively well. So I think it'll be like this moving forward. Do you feel rushed at all because of the calendar, or did you guys prepare yourself for making decisions? I mean, you have an off day coming up here, so traditionally there's been some cuts coming up before that. I, so. I think that's the way you look at it. Whatever day the start of the season is, I almost work backward from yeah. there. So what – Typically, 20 to 23 days before the beginning of the season is your first cut. That's every mm-hmm. club. And then, <laughs> and then you're down to 17 days and 15 days. Well, it is amazing how baseball has changed, too. With You don't have to worry about keeping, you know, if you've made some decisions, you don't have to worry about uh, cutting guys. Then they'll be gone because they're right across the parking lot, and you got other people. You can fill rosters, and it's it's a great convenience of modern baseball to have your minor leaguers a hundred yards away. No question. And I think you know sometimes when guys see the first cuts or the young players who go out, it's actually with the idea that they need to get stretched out for their seasons. You know, especially starting pitchers. You, you want to make sure that some of your young guys get a chance to go over and start throwing four, five, six innings, so they're ready to go when their seasons start too. So uh, the acquisition of Logan Morrison uh, certainly uh, has uh, made the uh, middle of the lineup look pretty fierce, but uh, does make you pretty left-handed. Are you uh, a little concerned about that? Or? Not, not for us. I, I think that you know Logan's somebody who you look historically. He's actually had relatively low splits. He's not been a guy. Not, not a lot of big time. Not a, a lot of big time power. Left-handers struggle against left-handed pitching. He's been pretty successful over the course of his career. So he certainly mashes righties, but he has he holds his own against lefties. So we feel like he's a good fit you know, against both sides. He gets walks. You look at him and he mm-hmm. gets some walks. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the uh, Max Kepler is the one who had trouble against lefties. Uh, you'd like to make a decision on that, I suppose, as to whether uh, you can whether he's going to be able to get 200 at-bats against lefties or no not. No question. I think Max, he's still so early in his career. You yes. sometimes don't want to jump to conclusions on a young guy yes. too early. You want to let him get those at-bats. But this division, uh, in terms of pitching, something we look at is, is pretty right-handed dominant mm-hmm. in terms of starters with uh, Cleveland and Kansas City and Chicago and Detroit. So we think we set up well with the amount of lefties we have for, for the mo- majority of games we play within division. Uh, you don't have Ernest Santana to start the season. Last year he kind of surprised us all by starting. 
starting with 13 pitchers. Uh, you got a manager who'd love to start with 12 and have a four-man bench. Are you guys, uh, that, that decision is down the road, but is that the way you're leaning It's a little to? bit down the road, although I will tell you, Paul, uh, at the outset you know, last year, wasn't sure about the extra pitcher versus pen. I think as the season went on, we realized the value <laughs> yes, in that extra yes. pitcher. But, uh, you know, we're, we're still working through that as we go. We feel like we can go with four starters out the gates just because of the way yeah. our off days line up early uh, and not need a fifth starter right away. So uh, we're still working through those last iterations. Hopefully everyone stays healthy and we get to make the decision at the end. And uh, But now last year when you made that decision, you were just worried who was ready to go a lot of innings for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel a little better about that? Definitely. Uh, I mean, with uh, Odorizzi and... Uh, Definitely. I, we feel like with our group this year, we're maybe a little bit more set up to be shorter in the bullpen. Once we added guys like Rodney Duke and Reed to now lengthen our pen, we had more optionable relievers you know, in in consideration this year, so you can go get somebody from AAA, bring them back and forth. So we feel like we're set up a little bit better with the way our pitching staff is this year. Uh, a little more uh, certain as to who's going to be in the pen, but you still have some interesting uh, situations. you got the the Kinley kid, uh, who's got a live arm, obviously Presley, Busenitz, uh You got you got a bunch of right-handers there. You got to make some decisions, Moya. Yeah. yeah, you like him? I do, I do. Yeah, I think our guys really like the. Uh, he's got a little Eddie Guardado in him. Yeah, the way he but he, uh, I watched him warming up the other day, and it's just like a normal stuff. He's not quite as goofy with the warm-up this year as he was when he came up last year. Is that have you guys intentionally uh, straightened him out? I think all young guys mature, yes. <laughs> certainly, and he's just trying to figure out. His routine, you know, he's not a hard thrower. No, and you know what I like about him is when he gets on the mound. You know, I joked about the comparison to Eddie, but I think that what I mean by that is just there's no fear. You know, when they get mm-hmm. in, they see that hitter. You know, they're attacking from pitch one. I think Moya's got that aspect of his appro- approach to pitching that uh, allows him to be successful. Now, the other day in uh, Manager Molitor's office, we were trying to remember all the starters because there were 17 that ended up, but uh, that number will obviously be reduced. But you guys said last year that you used the 40-man roster, and I don't think those of us who've been around the Twins for a long time knew exactly what you meant, but now we've seen it in action. <laughs> so that's one thing about only having 12 pitchers, because you will move guys back and forth. Yeah, I think you want to, in an ideal world, you're setting up roster flexibility so that you don't necessarily have to carry the extra guy all the time, that you might decide everyone's going to have a rough game every so often where your starter goes out in yeah. the first, second, or third. You beat up your bullpen a little bit. Can you go get a guy the next day? We feel like with, you know, you just talked about a few guys, whether it's Boost and it's Moya, Hildenberger, uh, all these guys who are young on the roster, have options or otherwise, there may be an, a time in the season where you have to send a guy down to go get somebody to stay fresh. Uh, Pitching-wise, is uh, Presley uh, your only real option case? Yeah, he's out of options yeah. uh, right now, uh, along with the uh, free agents that we signed. So, you know, uh, outside yeah. of those guys, we yeah. feel we have flexibility. And as far as position players, Vargas? Uh, yeah, so Vargas is somebody who's out of options. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, with the acquisition of Logan Morrison, may impact him as mm-hmm. much as anybody on the club. But you know the way we look at it is we'll see how things play out through the rest of spring training. You know, With the extra bench spot, who fits that mold, who can go play outfield for us, those things will all come into uh, the conversation for us at the eighth, late end of camp. A guy you brought in here last year that uh, a lot of us looked at him and, and didn't think much of it, Adrianza turned out to be a good player. Uh, 
who who put you who put you on to him? Who yeah. told you look at looking at this guy? He might be more bat there than you think. Great guy who blends, I think, a, a good conversation around scouting and and analytics. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy who we identified our scouts liked, knew the makeup, knew the tools, knew the skill set, and then when he looked at some of our metrics and projections on what he could do defensively, mm-hmm. uh, what we thought could be there and the bat was there and you know he he's got positional versatility and last year in spring training we talked about the idea of sending him to the outfield just yeah. to see how that would help us uh he did a great job with it during the course of the season and now we're seeing a lot of them out there he started uh, i think nine games and left played 17 out there i looked it up and uh you know he goes out there once in a while the nice thing about eddie is you can use him anywhere in the Absolutely. outfield to replace the other guy yep uh this was, uh, I actually wrote something about this the other day. I was talking, I happened to talk to Gene Glenn, and he brought up the four guys that went crazy, basically, after August 1st, Escobar, Polanco, yeah. Rosario, and uh, Buxton. Yep. And uh, Rosario just had a amazing year uh, when he you did. consider the last two months. Is he, is he a different player than you thought? He did. You know, he's one of those guys, when we got here, we heard so many good things about the way he attacks the game, competitive yeah. he is. Mm-hmm. I think when Miguel went down late in the year, yeah. Eddie almost felt like it was a burden that he had to wear to help step up in that power department. And he was one of the guys that I remember before we played that game in New York that night, was ready to go and mm-hmm. itching to get a bat <laughs> in his hand. So I think he's really he's stepped up and he's matured as a player and I'm excited to think about where he can go moving forward. Different, uh, different way to hit. You don't see many guys from hitting from that low position like no, that. But man, his hands are unbelievable. They're quick. I no love doubt. the guy. No doubt. I love the guy, and uh, I think that those two months last year will probably really make him something. Uh, uh, Miguel Sano, you just got to hang around and wait for the decision, huh? Yeah, I think at this stage, it's uh, it's still in Major League Baseball's hands, and uh, we'll certainly uh, we'll you know wait to hear what happens from that that point forward and and prepare ourselves as as best we can from that they uh intentionally keep you guys out of it right i think it by doesn't and, and yeah. for good reason i think just to um to make this as independent uh, an investigation and, and uh, an assessment as possible so that we all we all get the information at the end uh derek falby's with us we're uh, going to get him to hang with us for one more segment i hope uh, this is uh, the ride with racy Derek Falvey is with us, Twins uh, Chief Baseball Officer. Twins won 9-8 to eight today in a brawl against the uh, Baltimore Orioles, a hitting brawl, not a, not a fighting brawl. John Heyman uh, has a piece uh, right now on Kenley Jansen expressing his uh, dismay over the free agents unsigned. Uh, uh, there are some 8 or 10 pretty dang good players out there and then some some other guys. What Do you have a theory what's going on? I mean, you've gotten a couple of you didn't You got Morrison and uh, Oda Rizzi as uh, you made the trade for. What uh, Do you know what's going on? Yeah, I, you know, I think every team does it differently. So, you know, my, my focus has been on, on the and swings right, and, right. and what we can do. And, and we feel we've been pretty active. Uh, you know, I haven't read uh, Heyman's piece, uh, but I do know that, you know, certainly this has been a unique offseason around free agency. And ultimately, you know, teams are valuing players a little differently through certain ages. And, yes. Uh, now that may continue to persist moving forward. But the reality is that you know, ultimately, you know, guys got to make decisions at some point along the way, both agents and players. And I'm hopeful these guys get into camp soon. 
And Brian Dozier has uh, Sue Ann had a column on him, and I saw a couple other things on Brian saying that he he expects that he'll probably be a free agent after this year. Uh, uh, what's uh, what's your idea of talking to a player during his last season? Yeah, I think that you know when guys, it's it's such an interesting conversation to have with guys because they work so hard to get to free agency, right? They, yes, they put all that time in. Uh, they know it's an opportunity to potentially make decisions for the first time in their career un, unbounded by anything you know, with one organization. But my sense on this is we certainly have you know, productive dialogue with agents, with players. We want to make sure that's always healthy. We, we always do keep those private, you know, with yes, respect right. to the players. But I, you know, I certainly recognize that um, guys, as they approach this stage of their career, they, you know, they're thinking about what it could be in the future. Uh, so uh, what's, uh, what's the latest on Herb? Did he get a decent report in New York? He, he did. Came out of New York. Uh, they took the uh, brace that he had on off, uh, and his fingers moving. I saw him today. I asked how it was going. He he wants to throw a bullpen tomorrow. We're trying to slow him down. Mm-hmm. He's, he's what, uh, when do you think he might throw one? Well, I think at this stage now, the first movement is just get his fingers back to kind of full strength and get his hand moving the way he needs to. Make sure the sutures, everything's all clear, and then he'll start throwing here in the next you know uh, short period of time. Here, I don't know the exact days, but it'll be here. Short, here Derek, uh, a lot of people say, well, the Twins need a number one starter, and this could be true, but Irv Santana was a number one starter last season. No question. And I, yeah, think, I mean, he pitched like a you, – you can't say if you're not Clayton Kershaw, you're not a number one starter. I agree there's, there's five of those guys, but there's – there's another 15 number one starters, no and Santana was one of them. And I, I think, you know, I was part of an organization uh, prior to here that you kind of build them, too. You know, yeah. you get guys like, I, we think Jose Barrios has a chance to be that yes. guy. We think Jake Odorizzi at different junctures has pitched a lot like Irvin Santana and been pretty successful. So not to put too much pressure on any of those guys, no. but I think we want the whole staff to perform well. We'll continue to find ways to upgrade that group. Uh, Barrios is, uh, when he is... In a groove and throwing that breaking ball, uh, we had a manager here, Gardy, who used to uh, say the ball really comes out of his hand. About if I had a nickel for every time that he said that, but it that breaking ball does come out of his hand when he's when he's everything's all together. Man. Jose is somebody. He, he's a hard worker. He cares about his craft. He cares about getting better. I think last year we saw the example of he had a tough 2016. Comes up, you know, he goes to the WBC, learns a lot, goes to Rochester, gets himself settled, comes in and was great for us last year. So yeah. I only expect more steps forward along the way. He's a kid that everything you hear is almost works too fanatically, like what's pushing trucks and stuff. Like that. <laughs> I, I mean, am a, I, I do worry sometimes guys work harder, not smarter. You know, yeah. that, that, that concerns me at times. I think he's one that every young player goes through this stage of, I just want to work. I want to get through it. Now, how do we, how do we modify that routine? How do we make sure he's in the right spot for each, for each start? Tell me about Alston, the new uh, pitching coach. So, it's uh, kind of a, I mean, not, none of us had heard of James Rousen and that turned out okay. And how did you uh, find, uh, uh, Alston. Garvin Alston somebody who I think when, when you look across the league, when guys get the first time, uh, first time crack as a major league pitching coach, they typically had a few seasons in the minor leagues. Maybe they were a coordinator for a year yeah. or two and then you know, had maybe some bullpen experience, but typically it's not all of those. Garvin's somebody who's had 13 years of coaching experience from the low levels of the minor leagues to a rehab coordinator to really understand how guys progress back from health. He's been a major league bullpen coach, he's been a minor league pitching coordinator. So I think at this stage, he's somebody who comes with a lot of you unique experiences that will help him connect individually with each player. And we've seen that so far in camp. He's really Did, helped uh, guys. James Rousen and he are from the same town and we're friends. Did he uh, 
Did he suggest you take a look at this guy, or did the recommendation come from elsewhere? I'm embarrassed to say it, but I didn't actually put those together when we first <laughs> found Garvin on the list. I should have, but I, uh, that didn't come about until we got a little deeper in the process. When we talked a month ago or so, uh, I said that last year the the whole hitting seminar, and the, we were going to mm-hmm. try to be collaborative on hitting. From has has a lot of that been implemented implemented with pitching. Since? Same thing, same yeah. idea. You know, we had a chance in January when we had our organizational meetings here to get everyone together and, and split out into our pitching group and do something very similar to what we did with hitting, uh, and that has continued this spring. So you get guys like Pete Mackey, our pitching coordinator, and uh, what we're doing in the major league. Say Bob McClure, who we brought in as a senior advisor, was a ton of major league pitching coach experience. Those guys all connect together to talk about our program collectively. Now, you brought in Annabelle Sanchez. They had a rough uh, game, uh, I think it was yesterday. And uh, Phil Hughes, so far, I guess there were pop flies flying out on uh, in D- Dunedin. So I, I don't know how he pitched up there. But uh, uh, Phil is a guy you'd uh, certainly like to fix. Uh, no two, two years left on a big contract. No question. I think both those guys. Annabelle comes in on uh, kind of a unique contract structure, a non-guaranteed major league deal, which means he's still competing for our club, uh, somewhat like a non-roster would. And then uh, in, in Phil's case, you know, we feel like he came in healthy. That was the biggest piece. I think we hoped he was healthy last year. He wasn't quite, and we could tell that pretty early on. Now that he's thrown the ball well, I know up in Dunedin, you know, the line score doesn't always reflect how a guy pitches. He feels good. He's throwing the ball well. Let's just keep building off of He's never steps. been a guy with an assortment, though. He's always never. been a fastball cutter when he had his great year. as a fastball cutter. Now he's trying to add a slider, which I've always kind of thought was a cutter. And he, the changeup is... To the point where the New York writers used to text him, say, "How's that changeup coming?" You know, so <laughs> did you would think he needs a mix? Can you can you guys help no him with something? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's where Phil, as any pitcher matures and gets older, they have to revamp their mix a little bit. They have to reinvent mm-hmm. a, a tick. And he's somebody who, coming off of surgery, coming back, you know, knows he needs to use his mix. He's got impeccable command when he's healthy. We know that. That's always been his calling card. He doesn't walk anybody. So I think if we can make sure that we optimize the mix in terms of how he uses his curveball, how he's using that fastball and that cutter, that slider, uh, it'll help him get outs. Now, i got to ask you about this. Uh, the guy that can't get out this spring, Ryan Lamar, uh, married to a uh, Minnesota tennis legend, yes. Whitney Tanny, who was 160-0 and in high school at Edina. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to him uh, the other day, but... Uh, can a guy like that make you change your plans and have an extra outfielder? Yeah, I mean, hey, a right-handed Ryan, hitter. He's yeah. a great kid. He fits our roster well for right-handed bats. He can run play. and catch the ball. Exactly. I, you know, I heard the story about his wife recently. The first time I heard she was 105 and 0. Then the next time was 120. 100, the next time, <laughs> 160 and 0 in singles and 16 and 0 in doubles. That's so. unbelievable. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I don't want to play tennis with her, but yeah. uh, you know, I would say that Ryan's a guy who's opened a lot of eyes this spring. Yeah. Paul likes him. I know our staff likes him. It's great to have that kind of you know, young player in our mix who we think can impact us yeah he's a six-year free agent so you can send him to rochester and call him up anytime Absolutely. you want yep. and then yep. uh, you can so well i was i was just looking around a guy who can run and hits right-handed and catches the ball and gives guys a day off absolutely that's a good that's a good problem to have yes uh and uh you you also have zach granite but he's left-handed which i'm not but you you're not that you're not as worried about the left-handed part as i am i guess no i am in some cases i think guys who are more prone to being you know susceptible to that left on left guy i'm more concerned Mm -hmm. about zach's a guy who sprays the ball a little bit you know he's not he's not a big power guy he's never gonna be so i think you know he stays on lefties pretty well he can 
slice a ball to left field if he needs to. So and we feel like we're set up. You know, certainly the right-handed complement is a better fit for our roster. But, I, you know, I wouldn't rule out anything with that. A lot of uh, free agents still out there. I suppose you're engaged in the conversations without being in a panic about getting somebody. Right? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, big picture, we, we set out to improve our pitching staff. We got a unique opportunity with Logan Morrison. Uh, we never, you know, we never stop and we never rule anything out. But by and large, we think the crux of our team is, is here in camp right now. That That's going to be a big part of what we do in 18. Do you call an agents or are they calling you? Both. You know, yeah. At this stage, I think you know it's uh, as you said. There's still a few guys, you know, some bigger names, but even some of the guys that are you know maybe in a, a tier below that in terms of uh, you know, their projected contract status. So uh, we'll we'll stay engaged until the end. Hey, Derek, thanks for your time, sir. And uh, heck, heck, it's uh, what twenty days away or yeah. something like that. Yeah, close. <laughs> okay, thanks, Derek. You got it. All right, Derek Falvey, the Twins' chief baseball officer, joining us. We shall be back with Mister Johnny Height. Here is John Height with a sports update. Thank you, Patrick. Clouding 32 degrees. This update sponsored by Count Temps. Do you need accounting and finance professionals for long-term or recurring projects? If so, Count Temps salaried professional service may be the right solution. Visit accounttemps.com. Account Temps, a Robert Half company. Twins beat the Orioles 9-8 today. Joe Maurer, 2-4 for four with three RBIs. Jorge Polanco, two hits, including a home run. Uh, pitching wasn't great. Alberto oh. Mejia. Yes. Long, long home ball run, game. Johnny. A long, long home run. run into the bar in right field after Danny Valencia hit the first pitch he saw about 900 miles off Adabilta or Mejia. Uh, Jorge, he hit some at the end of last season. Who knows? Maybe he's uh, going to oh, be yes. a power he does, he does have some power, especially left-handed, I think. Yeah. If but. I find the guy that deleted... When in doubt, swag out. I swear to God, there's going to be things that I'm going to do to that person. What happened? To I can't find it in the system. What about, what about TK wishing Danny well? Oh, that's true. That's a good one too. Patrick, I'm going on and on, but uh, we wish Danny well. Yeah, we wish. <laughs> for the Twins, Mejia went three innings in the start, gave up four hits and three runs. Trevor Hildenberger went one inning, gave up four hits and two runs. Taylor Rogers also went one inning, gave up four hits and two runs. Uh, the Twins will play Boston tomorrow. Let me say this about Mejia: there's about 15 pounds less of him this year, so that's mm. that, that's encouraging. Yeah. I'm uh, rambling on, and yeah. I don't mean to, but uh, we wish Danny well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best. Have we signed up the former manager for 2018? The former manager, Cott, Olney, and, uh, and uh, Kirk Jen. Fantastic. Again. Beautiful. Yes. yes. Love right. it. Manny, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not even that anymore. I'll just call him, and he'll just go, Manny? <laughs> you? How you doing, TK? Good, good. Ready to go. Ready to go. Minnesota Wild in action tonight. They're playing the Carolina Hurricanes at the Excel Energy Center. Uh, Nick Sealer, who sparked the Wild by doing a little brawling the oh, other yeah. night, yeah. Uh, he's not going to play tonight. He is Why? In, the, in the words of the Wild, he is, quote, a little sore. Uh, mm. Not a oh, head really? issue, they said. Not uh, Nothing to worry hey, about. No. How about hands? How about hands? He, hands he also has a bruise on his head. I don't know if you saw the mm. blood the other night yeah. on the head, but, but not a concussion. So He was oh, messed who's, up. Who's in the lineup? Uh, that I don't know, to be truthful. Uh, they mm. said he's just sore. He will not. Because Prosser's a regular now, right? He plays every game. Oh, yeah. Right? So I don't Well, who do we got? <laughs> we don't have Riley yeah. anymore. Gustav Olofsson. And Coonan's out for the year. What are we going to yeah, do, that's, John? That's a, that's a kick in the shins right there. To, they wanted to see that kid, man. 
The uh, Lynx picked up some experience today. They traded their 2018 first-round draft pick to the Mercury for guard Danielle Robinson and a 2019 second-round draft pick. Uh, Robinson's a three-time All-Star, three-time WNBA All-Defensive Team selection. But we're like the Cavs, right? We just get rid of first-round picks anyway. <laughs> we're going for it, Johnny. We're uh-huh. going for another one. When you got Grandma Whalen and Grandma Augustus, you got to go for uh, you got to go for it when you can, right? Yeah. No argument. That's right. Uh, last season with Phoenix, by the way, Robinson averaged almost seven points a game and three and a half assists. Three-time All-Star. Three-time yeah. All-Star, three-time yeah. All-WNBA All-Defensive wow. team. So, wow. Uh, she's, right. uh, she's well, she guards team. people. So, in other words, when they want somebody to guard somebody, they'll take Whalen out and put Robinson and put in. Robinson that in. Yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll work. Willing, a willing defender her whole career, Miss Whalen. <laughs> oh. Go ahead, John. You want another one? One more. All one right. more. Uh, Gopher football coach P.J. Fleck dropping a bit of a bombshell in the middle of his uh, oh, pre-spring yeah. practice press conference today. He said Shannon Brooks suffered a non-contact lower leg injury in off-season workouts, and the running back will miss the entire 2018 season. He will redshirt, play his final season in 2019. He last year played in six games. 369 yards and 79 carries. He does have 17 rushing TDs in his three seasons. I am seriously considering canceling my Star Tribune subscription after today's front page with the oars on it. (laughs) I think I've had Uh it. Coach Fleck was also heard saying, I I eat difficult conversations (laughs) for breakfast. When I saw that, Patrick, I assumed that was a shot. That was an inside deal, and it was a shot at you. (laughs) Could have been. Could have been. I I got my subscription on hold right now. I may just tell him to hold it for life. That's it. I've had it. it. I've had it. All right. Thanks, Johnny. You bet. Sean Windsor is a sports writer, a commentator, a uh, analyst, a feature writer for the Detroit Free Press. He was in New York to watch that uh, tremendous performance by the Michigan Wolverines uh, during they had to play four games to win the championship. Uh, Sean, uh, I saw some of your uh, stuff that you wrote. Uh, this is uh, one of the uh, rowdier uh louder teams that Beatline has uh, coached there. Oh, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Pat. I think, uh, I think without question, I think it is the rowdy is a good word. I mean, they, <laughs> they talk a lot of trash. They play with a lot of swag. They, I mean, you know, Mo Wagner, their big six foot eleven center, although he really plays like a two guard, you know, he runs <laughs> up down the court after making shots with his tongue hanging out, kind of looking at the crowd. It's, just, uh, it's a different scene. It's uh, it's an awful lot of fun to cover. Obviously, it's you know more fun when the local teams win, but uh, it's good for business. But anyway, uh, it's it's unique, that's for sure. Now they didn't come into this season with great expectations. I mean, everything was focused on Michigan State there, and uh, you know, all the, they had Bridges back. They had uh, the, the one and doneer coming in. Uh, did did anybody have any idea how good this team could be? Well, to be honest with you, I thought, and I was a little bit wrong about this not that i'm not a little bit wrong a lot of time but uh i thought i thought movac of wagner was would contend for the player of the year in the conference okay and he's he's so i thought they had that and then if you listen to beeline he's not a i don't know how much you've talked to him over the years but he's not one to sort of just talk Mm -hmm. say things and he said back in october he thought this team had a chance to be to be really good he wasn't sure he's got some newcomers 
You had some guys that needed to learn how to do a couple of different things, but, but they kind of knew they had the the chance. And so I, I felt all along like they could be a top three, top four team in the league. Um, and then looking at his record, his track record, yeah. what he does with, with teams, obviously. And around here, of course, it's Michigan fans love it because, Michigan, you know, it's more fun to do it in a year when Michigan State's supposed to be the to be the team. Now they start off in the tournament, and they didn't play great against Iowa. I watched quite a bit of that game. But then it's no contest with Nebraska, and uh, they handled Michigan State and Purdue. They didn't really uh, – they were never in trouble after the uh, after they beat Iowa. You're right. I, I thought against Iowa they were a little bit flat, especially in the first half, especially defensively, which – that's the other part of this uh, this story that's that's different. Is this is the best offensive team Beeline's ever had? It may not be his best offensive team. They're good and they're starting to find their way offensively, which is why they're so dangerous right now. But they've been checking all year. But they kind of got it together in the second half. Second half against Iowa, and then the only other trouble they were in is Michigan State. Kind of they cut it to five with about three minutes to go in the semis on Saturday, and uh, their guard, Michigan's guard. Uh, uh, Abdul Rockman hit, took a three that sat up on the back of the iron and then fell in. <laughs> it just it was it made a thud. You could hear it. You know, the, you know, it was a brick that sort of fell in. It's just how it goes when you're you're rolling right. But uh, that doesn't go in. Maybe Michigan State finds a way to get out. You know, pull that out. But uh, but yeah, no, they're going right now. So uh, Beeline uh, gets hired there eleven years ago. I would imagine nobody was horribly excited about it. Although he'd been okay at West Virginia, I didn't realize he got started at West Virginia when Dockage got hired and quit after eight days. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's, it's been a while. And of course, the interesting interesting thing about Beeline Pat is he's never been an assistant. You know, he kind of worked no. his way up. He coached yeah. at Richmond and Canisius. I mean, he coached high school for a while. Yeah, when he, when yeah. he first started out, he just. I think a lot of people like the hire. I mean, he had some good teams at, at West Virginia, and the thought was if he got to Michigan, the resources would would be a little bit a little bit better. It's not a basketball school, obviously, but they've had some success. But I just think what impresses me about him right now is that here he is. He was in the national title game a few years ago. He's won the Big Ten a couple of times. He's had some success here, and yet he brought in some new assistants and thought, you know what, we got to start playing defense and. Luke Yocklitz, one of their assistants, told me in New York the other day that when he first met Beeline on campus after he'd been hired, he comes into his office and he said, what can I do to make this team better? He said this to a young assistant coach from Illinois mm-hmm. State that nobody knew who nobody knew Yocklitz, right? And here's Beeline saying, what can I do and can you teach me how to teach defense? When a 65-year-old coach does that, that's that's to me is a little bit different. It reminds me a little bit of Popovich down in San Antonio or somebody who's always trying to adapt and evolve. He's uh, he's the master of uh, everyone says offensively. He's the master of spacing. He's the master of opening up the court and uh, it, it how his teams get better is what impresses me. He's uh, you know through most seasons they keep getting better and that certainly isn't the case. A lot of teams you know they get bored with it. They got some seniors. They get bored with it. His his teams always get better. They do, and that's always been, uh, as you know, you've watched Michigan State over the years. That's the reputation Tom yes. Izzo's had for so long. And this is the first year I can remember in a long, long time um, that his team did not follow that same arc. They just have struggled. And they're talented, but they just they just haven't quite put it together. Who knows? they got a couple of weeks off, and sometimes Izzo can work that March magic. But we'll see. Now, uh, of course, the whole uh, trauma over there that the university's going through, you just wonder what that's done to everybody's concentration with that team, too. 
Well, I think, well, absolutely. And they, and they will tell you privately that that a couple of things, excuse me, the, the Larry Nasser tragedy that was in, yeah. with the, you know, yeah. the, gym, the gymnastic doctor was then conflated a little bit with an ESPN report with Mark Antonio, the football coach, and Tom Izzo, and that absolutely affected him. And then the FBI report that Yahoo Sports uh, ran a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, whenever it was, that had Bridges' mother listed in there, that that certainly affected him. But, Pat, I think, I mean, I, I sat in Izzo's office back in the fall, and he was a little worried then, this is before any of this, he was worried then that the expectation that went with this team, and you got to remember, they're sophomores, their best players are sure. sophomores and freshmen. And he was worried about that. Michigan's best players are juniors and seniors. And um, I know they got a one to Don. Jared Jackson's a marvelous player, marvelous talent. But the, he was a little bit worried back then. Could they handle that? And I think that all of the off-the-court stuff over the winter, along with the, the expectation of why aren't you getting better and the, you know, the way they've been kind of uh, scrutinized, I think it's gotten to them. Uh, do the, uh, the, uh, this beeline – Take the rivalry personally, or that he doesn't seem like a guy that if he isn't getting a lot of pub, it bothers him that he's not the glamour coach. It doesn't seem to bother him. Doesn't bother him at all. Uh, does he take the rivalry personally? I think he wants to beat as those behind badly. <laughs> he just doesn't wear it on his sleeve. But privately, absolutely. I mean, it's so will tell you. You know, I respect Beeline, but I hate Michigan. Yeah, Beeline right. will say, yeah, Beeline will say I respect Izzo, but I don't hate anybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's just not its not his nature. He's not, I mean, Izzo's so much more, I don't want to say volatile, that's a cliche, but he's, you know, he he, he wears everything out there. I mean, he, he puts everything out there beyond yeah. just, it's just not in his, uh, that's not the way he does things, but he absolutely is a, a killer competitor. Uh, Sean Windsor's with us from the Detroit Free Press. Is He's 65 now, still full of energy? Still relates to the kids, obviously. Absolutely, and I think, uh, I think to his credit, you know, it's interesting because I don't. You, you, I'm sure you remember this last year's Big Ten tournament was in D.C. Yep. and Michigan's plane slid off the runway here. Yeah, oh, that's right. And I remember that. Right, it became a national story, and then they won won the Big Ten tournament, and, and um, they kind of became the darlings until they lost the in the Sweet Sixteen. But I remember uh, talking with with John last summer after it all sort of, you know, kind of settled down a little bit, and, and about how he had changed and how he was already starting to change and then how that incident on the runway changed him and because he's such a detail-driven guy. Most coaches yeah. are obviously at that level, but he he makes, you know, a lot of these coaches look chill yeah. by he his get- meticulous, meticulousness. So he, he decided after that, and he was already heading this way, but that was kind of the final... Uh, piece that made him say, "You know what? I've got to start letting other people do things. I, I can't do everything. I have to. I have to. Yeah, get get more people involved in the decision making process and just sort of stop and enjoy." He told me a story about he was in Florida with his wife. You know, after the season, and he actually left his phone in the room when they went to the hotel pool. He said, "Never done that before." There he is, right in his sixties, and. So you know how it is. You get you get to a yeah. certain age, and you think, "What am I doing? I need to slow down." And well, that, you know, that put, thing last year, they, in the water, yeah, and feel that it thing last year. They got to the arena about an hour before they were supposed to get the start. Yeah, right. right. So he couldn't right. do his usual, uh, you know, uh, stuff, and then they end up winning the tournament. A good lesson, boy. They look dangerous right now. 
Yeah, they do. I, you know, it's always um, interesting when you see a team that looks great in, a, in their own conference yeah. tournament and whether that carries over. A lot of times the Big Ten champ in the tournament anyway doesn't do anything in the NCAA tournament. So it's hard, it's hard to know. But they look really good. They play loose. They're playing with a lot of confidence. But What's then watch the, Michigan State, which is struggling. They'll take this week and a half and huddle up, and who knows? Maybe they'll get to the Final Four. Hey, what's, I have no what's idea. the uh, what's the closest uh, first round, second round for those two? Detroit. Detroit. Oh, at the at the new uh, with the new the new arena with the Pistons and Wings well, playing. I bet they could probably put around. both. They could probably put both of them in there in different uh, in different regions if they want. Yeah, they could, and I I think some folks think Jerry Palm still thinks that'll happen, but uh, Purdue's kind of part of the equation. Yeah. Um, you know, because it depends on where they get seated because they're close, and then Xavier maybe mm-hmm. from Cincinnati. But uh, we'll see. They could both. I bet one of them will be there, and maybe both. That'd be great. Hey, Sean, thanks for your time, sir. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Pat. All right. All right. Uh, thank you. And it would be nice to have at least one of them there because then that arena would finally be full, huh? I know. <laughs> it's, basketball it's an empty all winter. It's depressing. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, sir. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Sean Windsor from the Detroit Free Press. That was good. Uh, I was really impressed with that Michigan team last week. And I love Beeline anyway, the way he spreads everybody out and has guys that make shots. And, uh, uh, and, and he does it in such a low-profile manner. We'll be back. This is The Ride with Racy. All right, welcome back to the ride with Roy Seat Manny Hill. We were just talking Michigan basketball in the previous segment. So the Abdur Rahim that plays for the Wolverines because you're my basketball encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. No relation to Sharif Abdur Rahim that played none for the Grizzlies way of. back in. Yeah, none that I know of. So because I thought we were doing the math, and I kept thinking, "There's no way that that could be his kid, can it?" But he was drafted in like '96. Is that right? The third overall pick in 1996. Yeah, by the uh, then Vancouver Grizzlies. So. Boy, he was a good player that played on some awful teams. Twelve he years in the league, never made the playoffs. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, he could have done that with the Wolves these last 13 years had he yeah, been a member of the Wolves. Yeah. All right, we'll be back here for the top of the hour break. Rhett Bollinger will join Patrick live from Fort Myers. We also have a very special and unique sports person of the day. So stick around. The ride with Royce will continue right after this.